pray before our sermon. God of steadfast love, you raise us up when we fall, and you place our feet on steady ground. Strengthened by your faithfulness, we offer our prayers in thanksgiving for the grace that is ours in Christ. We pray for the mission of your church, that we may proclaim the good news of the age as we put our trust in you. We pray for the world, that your saving love may reach to the ends of the earth as we serve the common good. We pray for all who suffer, that we may heed their cry as we share in your steadfast mercy. We pray for your creation, that we may safeguard its well-being as we labor together for redemption. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, and in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A couple announcements before our sermon today. <clears throat> we have an invitation from Mary Truesdale. There is a Women's Valentine's Breakfast at the Bath United Methodist Church on February 1st. It's at 9 a.m. If you'd like to join Mary and other amazing folks there, February 1st at 9 a.m., please let Mary know by January 20th that you're planning on attending. So that's February 1st, Women's Valentine's Breakfast at the Bath United Methodist Church. Is that right, Mary? Did I miss yes. anything? Only that will be on the bulletin board. Thank you. There's a sign up right there in the, by the bulletin board. Uh, feel free to, um, to sign up your, your name. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, have a, we have a bulletin board by, by where the copy is in that area. Yeah. All right. Speaking of signing up in bulletin boards, um, we have the volunteer schedule out for the rest of the month, and then the one for February will be will be coming out shortly. We still need a couple people for next Sunday and for the last Sunday in January, we are still missing one uh, person for the children's uh, hour as well. And we need at least two adults to be able to run our children's ministry. So if you're able and if you want to sign up, please consider signing up and there's many other opportunities to sign up as well throughout the month and in the future months. And then lastly, I was just realizing this earlier to, earlier this week when I was getting ready for the sermon today. Um, Ash Wednesday is coming up February 22nd, which would be the beginning of Lent. Um, so at that point, we are 40 days away from Easter. 40 or 50? 40. 40, right? Yeah. 40 days away from Easter from February 22nd. I feel like they just... Yeah, I'm like, it's only January, but we're already talking about Easter. So, um, yeah, just, just so you know. And uh, we'll see if we can get uh, an Ash Wednesday service together for, for that day. We'll just have to check uh, calendars and volunteers, but more to come on that. Any other announcements that I might be forgetting? No? All right. So our passage for this, for this morning is John 1, 29 through 42. Um, I love this passage as I was reading it and, and highlighting the, the lectionaries reading for today. But I did find that it basically has maybe too many sermons in it. So you're going to get too many sermons today. But it's not my fault. It's the passage's fault. Um, oh, and before I forget, a huge thank you to John who will be preaching next Sunday. Because I have to work next Sunday. So John will be doing the preaching. So thank you, John, for that. Um, Mr. Howe? Yeah, John Howe. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he might be playing the piano, singing, and doing the preaching next, <laughs> next <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might, he might. You don't have church down in the kitchen. Um, let's read the passage for today. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. That's sermon number one. Sermon number two. The following day, there's two days here. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, where are you staying? In Greek, it better translates, where are you remaining? Where are you abiding? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was remaining or abiding. And they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which yeah. means the Christ. Then Andrew, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. There's a couple of things going on here. The Gospel of John is giving us a description of what's happening at the baptism of the Lord. If you remember, this is just a little bit of a biblical history. Um, sometimes we, we can get confused. The way that we have received the Bible today can be confusing for us because we have received it as a, as a full volume, right? But the Bible was not obviously written as a full volume. It has dozens of authors and it was created over hundreds and hundreds of years and it was not compounded together for what we know as the Bible today. And there's still some discrepancies specifically with our Catholic brothers and sisters. So about the year 300, right? If you ever read a Catholic Bible, they actually have a few other books in, in their Bible um, that, that they consider part of the canon. We don't. Protestants don't. Um, but so, yeah. So, so you know, the Bible is really just many, many books put together. So historically, what we understand is that it is likely that the first gospel that was written is Mark. And if you, if you read it with this understanding, it, it gets, uh, to me, it gets really interesting because it is kind of, I was texting with John Howell last night. I've been watching Rogue One and Ander, the Star Wars st stuff. But I am new to the Star Wars thing, so I have to know where I am in the location, right? Like, am I between movies one, two, and three, before or after? And John was kind of giving me the lay of the land. And, uh, this is exactly what's happening, right? This is the story, but, but to know where it kind of fits, makes a difference. Yeah. So Mark is likely first, and then there is, um, and how, how we know this is, because there's ancient manuscripts, but then we also know it, because Matthew and Luke 
there's actually pieces of Mark that they just copied verbatim yes. into uh, Matthew and Luke. And that's really interesting. And you can do a comparative study of that. But then we know that there is another source in which Matthew and Luke copied from another source, which is what we call Q, uh, which is the French word for source, Curel, a Curel. But um, there, we, we haven't found that source. We don't know what it is. And there's this other source that Matthew and Luke also copy pieces from verbatim. And then you find these pieces. So Matthew and Luke have pieces of Mark in it, pieces of Q, and then pieces of their own storytelling. Right. And then there's John. John doesn't fit in into any of these other any of these other gospels, right? So likely Mark written first, Matthew, Luke afterwards. Remember, it's Luke Acts. It is the whole the whole compendium together, um, and then John comes later. And John is coming in. We don't know exactly, but a few decades after Mark. So by this point, the story of the baptism is well known. They already know the story of the baptism. It's been decades since this story was being told. But I love John because John's like, let me tell you my point of view. <laughs> right? And that's why John's story is actually a little bit different. If you get a chance, go back and look and read uh, John 1 in its entirety, the whole chapter. It is a beautiful chapter. And it starts with this idea of God being there. In the beginning, there was the yeah. Word. Right? There was the yeah. Word. God. Yeah, but the Word. This idea of the logos, the 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 the, the, the the, the verb, the word, the presence, everything being there in the beginning. So John then is giving us his point of view. It is a little bit different than we find it um, in the other passages, and I think it is richer for it. I, we, we find a much, a much richer telling of this. And here we really find it from John the Baptist, from the baptizer's point of view. That's really what we're saying, right? We did not know that, John, that God had told the baptizer that he was going to baptize Jesus eventually. We didn't know that until John, the, the evangelist, tells us that. This, this is the first time we're finding out. So he says, uh, back to verse 39, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is also only of John that we have this phrase, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mark, Luke, and, and, um, and uh, Matthew do not give us this reading of Jesus. It is John that tells us that when the baptizer sees Jesus, he calls him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've talked about this before. Um, there, there is this idea, right, when, when in, in Jewish mind, in Second Temple context mind, when you hear this, this image of the Lamb, what do you think of immediately? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. The Passover lamb. The Paschal lamb. You think of this. Remember, I mean, think about this, right? The instructions were that early, early on, they were supposed to choose one little lamb that was perfect and without defect, that was completely white, no brown or black spotted, um, like fur, hair in them. They were supposed to be perfect, and they were supposed to grow up with it for a year. And they were supposed to feed it and tend to it and be gentle with it. And it was supposed to be their little lamb. And then this is the lamb that's going to be the sacrificial lamb. Like it's, for us, I watched this show on History Channel alone. Have you, have you ever seen it? Is this, they, they place people out in the Arctic and they're, they're alone and they're supposed to survive for however many days. And they're hunting for their own food and whatever. And I watch it with the girls sometimes. And I think it's so good for them to see that. That, yeah, like, that we have to hunt chickens. Then the chickens, they have another <laughs> way. 
They're like wild chickens. Um, and, 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 and rabbits and, and, and moose to eat. And we live in such a transactional world where like, no, it's Hannaford's, right? We go for, we, we're gonna Hannaford's for our chicken and it comes bread and a little, little bite sizes. Um, there was no distancing and separation between the sacrificial lamb and the Paschal lamb, the, the, the Passover lamb for Israelite families. There was no Hannaford's that you go to to buy your sacrificial lamb, right? What John is clinging to, and he's saying, look, this is the one sacrifice who's going to take away the sins of the world. I don't know, and I literally do not know, if there is another mention before this of taking away the sins of the world. The Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, took away the sin of your family. Yes. Right, and you grab the, the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and you would put it. You would put it on this side and on this side. You put it on this side, and then the angel of death and, and, and tradition would come by, and it would see that this household had the blood of this sacrifice sacrificed animal, and it would pass over your house. That's what's the Passover lamb, right? Yeah. So it would protect this house. But when John sees Jesus, he says, this is the one who's going to take away the sin of the cosmos. The sin of the universe. The, the sin of the galaxy. The sin of the Gentiles. Of the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you think of the meaning of the word cosmos specifically for them, and even now, to me, they're cosmic, right? They're this idea of this universal, this, this huge understanding of the universe. For them, it was everything that existed in the created order. Jesus was the one who was to be sacrificed to take away the sin of everything that exists in the created order. Right. What John is introducing to us is something radically different than they had understood yeah. up until this point. That it is no longer a million Goats and sheep and, and, and you know doves that are being sacrificed one by one, one for each family, one for each household. It is one lamb, the Lamb of God, who is going to take away the sin of the world. Amen. Whew. This is a radically different reading of how we understand God and how we approach God. This is the new covenant. Mm. This is the good news. This is the New Testament. This is what makes it different. This is what's different about Jesus' offering to us and to them at that time. That it is our understanding that in Jesus the question of sin has been taken care of. It no longer hangs over you. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you don't sin. We sin. We do plenty of sin, but it means we have a different relationship with sin because God in Jesus has taken care of the sin of the whole cosmos. <laughs> so then our relationship to sin changes. Sin is no longer our dominion over us. Death is no longer in dominion over us. We have dominion over sin in the grace of Jesus. Amen. And this is different. This is hope. This is a very different way of understanding and relating to God. 
And I would argue that to a certain extent it's a little bit incomplete, a little bit, because then he'll give us more of that in the next verses. So John calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, he's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is greater than me. And then I love this phrase because you can, you can you know, pass over it really quickly. For he existed long before me. What's funky about that? John is six months older than Jesus. Yeah, but... So the baptizer is saying, he is older than me, but he's not. But what the baptizer is saying is, actually, I'm making reference to what John the Evangelist would say at the beginning of John 1. In the beginning was the Word. This is a reference to the pre-existing existence of Jesus to the pre-existence of Jesus who would then become our savior and would come to earth as a baby as we just celebrated a few weeks ago, about a month ago. John knew that this man was different. John knew that this man was in the beginning. I love the Spanish translation, what the translators did with John 1, 1 reads, in the beginning was the verb. The verb. The verb, not the word. And technically, neither one really works as it's lagos, and lagos just, it's, it's like a really complicated idea. But it's um, the verb. In the beginning was the verb. I love the idea of action. Action, yeah. yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is something that the Spanish translators did, that the English translators didn't do. Uh, verse 32. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. Do you remember a few weeks ago, I don't remember how long ago, we preached a, a sermon where John didn't know again if he was the one. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to fault him. We, we've been there. But I, I love this idea that he didn't know, and then he knows, but then years later, he doesn't know again. And he's the cousin. He's the cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the cousin. He's the one that, you know, like, there's all kinds of stuff... I, I, this is this is for free. How how beautiful a picture of healthy spirituality to have this this rhythm, this doubt, this belief, but being there, right? But he's there. I I just I love the freedom in a John who knows and then who doesn't know, and he's really sure. But then later on he was like, but wait, are you are you the Messiah? Anyways. Um, the one in whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then here's where, where, where I say that John, the, the baptizer, really is completing this picture of who Jesus is. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Not only is Jesus is the Lamb of God, but he too is the anointed one, the, choice, the chosen one, the Messiah one of God, the Savior. And so John the baptizer is giving us this picture of Jesus as the one who takes away the sin of the cosmos. And then Jesus as the one who is also the chosen one of God. And this is the Jesus that John the evangelist is giving to us from here on for the rest of the gospel. Mm. I'll say one more thing. I love that one of the things that is new about the new covenant, the new testament, the new, the new kingdom economy under which we are in, by the way, 
is that there's this free offering of the Holy Spirit poured out to every person that wants it. The Holy Spirit was present very much so before in the Old Testament and in, in, in previous covenants and from the very beginning. Um, I think of Dan every time I think of like back in Genesis. Right? Um, if you remember back in Genesis, in, in, in Genesis 1, it says that who was hovering over the waters? Spirit. The Spirit. The Spirit was already there. So the Spirit is not new. It is the relationship we have to Spirit that's new. And what John is saying is, I'm baptizing you with baptizing you with water. But when Jesus comes, he's baptizing you. He's dipping you into the Holy Spirit. So that you're completely surrounded with Holy Spirit in you. Amen. And this is part of this new offering, of this new testament, of this new covenant. That you and I not only have a distant relationship with God through sacrifice, which was the old Testament. But now we have a, a Lamb of God who is the chosen of God who has taken away the sin of the cosmos, and you have access to the Holy Spirit in you every single second of your life. Amen. There is an, an awareness of the Spirit of God being in you. Amen. And I used to think when I was younger, I was like, wait, like, but like, is there like a hole in me where yeah. the Spirit goes? Like, what's going on? And and I'm a little bit older now, and uh, there is no hole. Um, I actually like the idea better. It's, there is no hole. There is no vacuum where Holy Spirit goes. It is literally inside of you, in you, to the very, very, very core of who you are. There is the Holy Spirit is. When the psalmist says in Psalm 40, let me bring it back. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. I, like there's this essence of like earthliness and groundedness and brokenness. And the Holy Spirit is there. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Amen. He has given me a new song to sing. I, I almost picture this as this new song coming from within you. Amen. That's right. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. We're not separate from God anymore. We're with God. The Holy Spirit is in us. So that's sermon one. <laughs> Let me go on to sermon two. And again, it's not my fault. There's two days here. So each day deserves its own sermon. The following day, John was again standing with his two disciples, with two of his disciples, Andrew being one of them. As Jesus walked by, John, the baptizer, looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when the baptizer's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Uh -huh. If I was writing the Bible, I would add, and the baptizer didn't grumble. Because <laughs> I would. <laughs> like, Jesus, I'm cool with you coming and being the Lamb and the Messiah and everything else, you being greater than me, all of these things, but do your own thing, right? Like, well, why do you have to come in and take my people that I've been <laughs> discipling and walking with in my community? We know that not all of John's disciples end up following Jesus like, like Andrew does. But we do know that a good number of them do. And we actually, John the baptizer told, told us this in other gospels. He said, 
I must decrease so that he must increase. I think one of the lessons here for us in, in, this, in this passage is that I know this sounds harsh, and I don't mean it, this is for me, but I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. And I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, God, I, I, I like to save things. I like to be in control. Amen. I like to kind of determine how things go, and I like it to be about me. Is Elena here? No. Uh, Elena this morning was mad because uh, Eden is going to a party later this afternoon with one of her uh, classmates. And Elena was offended that she didn't think of inviting her. <laughs> I'm like, Elena, do you even know who, who the girl is? She's like, no. I'm like, does she know who you are? She's like, no, but she didn't invite me. So I'm offended. I'm mad. Uh, right? Like, there is this, this in us where, like, we just get offended because we're not invited to the party, the party that we don't even know the people. Oh, they know us. <laughs> But th that, that little thing in Elena, I see it in me all, all the, time. the time. I want to make it about me. I want to save everything around me. I want to act. I want to make sure that everyone is safe and everyone is fed and I always overbuy food and overcook because <laughs> there's this anxiety about like people not getting food. Right. <laughs> That's the Spanish thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is a, the Mexican mother of me for sure. Um, what John the baptizer understood that I'm still having a hard time understanding, that I'm still learning to understand, is that I'm not the Savior and the show is not about me. It's about Jesus. Amen. That's hard. That's hard when you live with people, that's hard when you work with people. That's hard with, in my case, people are my, uh, are my work. If there's no people, I don't have a, I don't have a job, so I need people. But, but then like, sometimes it's about them and not about me. And I'm like, what, what's up with that? <laughs> That's hard when you have siblings and you don't get invited to the parties that they get invited to. Yeah. That's hard. But John understood that. He understood that he was not the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And the show was not going to be about the baptizer was going to be about Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's lesson number one. Like the baptizer, we have to learn that we are not the Messiah. We are not called to save anyone. And let me just say this, specifically in, in, in relationship of spiritual relationships, we are not called to save anyone. No. You can't. You cannot save anyone. You cannot save anyone. You cannot feed them to save them. You sure as heck cannot spiritually save anyone. That is not our call. Our call, I love that we were singing, lay me down. Amen. Our call is to be laid down so that Jesus might receive the glory and he might be the savior of others. Yeah. Not me. Not a church. Not a group. Not a pastor. Not an author. It's Jesus. Right. So when John's disciples heard this, they followed Jesus, and in my version, and John didn't complain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, number two, Jesus looked around and saw them following. I've never noticed. I've been studying this passage for years. I wrote papers on John the Baptizer. My, my final thesis, thesis in, in, uh, in undergrad was on John the Baptist. It was a 40-page paper on the Baptist, and I've never, ever, ever saw this. 
Jesus looked around and saw them following. And what is the first thing, the very first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of John? And the very first thing that Jesus says to the disciples is, What do you want? <laughs> I was not expecting yeah. that. Yeah, that's not cool. Again, in my version, it was like, Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to the party. Right? Again, because, because I have this ego thing. I, I want to make it about me. So I'm like, yeah, thank you, welcome. And Jesus is like, what do you want? I read that a little harsh. And I was like, is there a soft reading of it? And I, I, I'm not sure if there is or there's not, but here's what I do think. I wonder if Jesus is still asking that question of us today. Oh, wow. What do you want? Huh. Why are you here? Mm. Why are you following me? Peace. The first thing that Andrew and the other disciple hear from Jesus is, what do you want? And I'm moved by that. I see a pretty selfless Jesus here. I see a Jesus that understands, understands what he's about, and he's wondering if other people understand what he's about. Mm, uh, good point. I see a Jesus that's not about to be fooled. Right? Sometimes, sometimes we in, in, in church history will tell us this, and history in general, sometimes movements of Christians have tried to, to use Jesus to accomplish things. And Jesus is still standing here and saying, what do you want? Because he's not about to be fooled. I wonder if Jesus was expecting to hear, maybe one of them wanted a revolution. A war. A civil war. Maybe one of them wanted the end of oppression. Because they were tired of the Romans governing over them and literally towering over their temple. Maybe they were tired of taxes and, and, and oppressive governments. And then their answer is even more fascinating. They reply, teacher, where are you abiding? Where are you uh, remaining? Where are you staying? What Andrew and the other disciple wanted, they just wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus. I find no clear depiction of discipleship than this conversation that's going on right here. Mm. When we start following Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want? And the disciples say, where are you staying? Yeah. That's where I want to go. Yeah. And here's a couple lessons for us. One, that each person has their own journey to live. Mm. When the baptizer lost two of his disciples, he lost them to Jesus and then, and then they, were, they were just going to follow Jesus wherever that they ended up going, right? We know from the gospel stories that John and Jesus, the baptizer and Jesus, don't really see each other much until we hear from when the baptizer is in jail and he's sending his messages saying, are you the one? Before that, in between that, there is not much. And then soon afterwards, he's killed. The baptizer is killed. So John had to be comfortable with letting his disciples take their own journey. Mm. And that's hard. Mm. 
I, I have so much respect for those of you who are parents of adults. I don't know how y'all do it. I, I, like, I want to tell my daughters what to do all the time about everything. What to wear, what color to paint, you know, wh what they want to think, what's their favorite music, what their favorite food is. I force them to eat food. Like, th th there's this whole thing that I just, I want to tell my children what to do, but then they become adults. Uh, yeah. And you have to let them go. And it's their own journey. And that's hard. And so many of you are doing that so well here in this congregation. That's one thing that I love about, <laughs> about this. Thinking of all these other folks older than me that are showing me how to be a parent of children who are gonna go on their own journey. Who are going to make choices that are individual to them and different than the ones I would have made. We don't know if the baptizer was like, yeah, yeah, you, you should go follow Jesus. Maybe this was just the choice that they made but I love that they had the option to make that choice, mm -hmm. to leave John. I love that John was okay with it. And John was also okay with them following their own journey and making mm -hmm. their own decisions. Wow, that's huge. For those of us who have young children, this is really important. For those of us who work with young children and teens in our church, this is really important. As you know, I work at, at a college. I work with young adults and developing adults all day long and they make all kinds of choices that I wouldn't make. <laughs> and I have to let them be. And I don't always get to judge them, I just get to understand them, right? To walk with them, to be there for them, to be a safe person for yes. them. Yes. That is one of the things that we get to be for each other, that is one of the things that we get to be for our children. We don't get to make all the decisions for our children. And I'll, I'll tell you, again, this, this, is, this is for free. <laughs> Training children to make choices for themselves is something that they have to do before they have to get to that point. If you've made all the decisions for them and then at 18, they're like, okay, go for them. They're not going to know. And that's hard. I sometimes wish that the pants were different. And that the jacket was the different jacket and that there was a warmer jacket because it's cold outside. <laughs> and I think that applies to us too. Learning how to trust our own selves to make these decisions. To not always depend on someone, maybe a spiritual parent or a spiritual mentor, holding our hand saying, okay, this is the next job for you. Okay, this is the next thing. Okay, this is what you have to do now. But learning how to trust our own relationship with Jesus to make these choices, that becomes a really important part of discipleship. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to agree on whether the choice was left or right, or it was blue, or it was purple, or it was whatever color you were supposed to paint the wall. Right. These are choices that we make by ourselves in discipleship with Jesus. Amen. And then lastly, verse 39 says, Jesus said to them, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Huh. Our call to discipleship is to remain with Jesus. There is no perfect program. There is no curriculum. There is no university that you can go. There is no perfect tradition. 
There is no right way to do it. There is no one book that I can give you and say, here you go, this is the book of discipleship. You do it and you're good. Yeah. Remaining with Jesus is something we have to do and we have to do that for ourselves. That's right. We do it in community. We do it with the help of the scriptures. We do it with the help of theological and spiritual elders of our traditions. We do it with each other. But that's something that we have to do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. To remain with Jesus. So as you go on this week, my question for you is, just like Jesus asked Andrew and the other disciples, what do you want? What do you want of Jesus this week? Today. What do you want of Jesus today? Is this about Jesus? Or is this about something else? And then the other question is, how are you letting other people live out their own discipleship journey? Or are you trying to make it about yourself? Are you trying to control everything and everyone else, and you have forgotten that you're not the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that sometimes good people have to let go of their disciples so that they follow Jesus and have their own journey with Jesus? Amen. What do you want from Jesus? And how are you holding back? the discipleship journey of other people because maybe you have forgotten that you're not Jesus. Those are questions for me this week. Completely inspired from my own struggles and from my own journey. If that helps you, that's awesome. That's and that's right. free. And that's free too. Join me in prayer. To be continued. Heavenly Father, we are humbled to learn that your follower, your disciple John, was faithful enough was generous enough and was secure enough in his worship and his conviction of you as the savior of the world that he let two of his disciples go and follow you. That's amazing. Father, may we have that kind of faith and that kind of spirituality where we're not attached to people or attached to things and we're just open and willing to let people follow you even if it means in different ways than us. We're in different journeys than us. Father, will you give us grace, patience, love, and mercy for each other? Will you allow us to ponder on that question, what do you want? May that question resonate in our souls and minds for the rest of the week. As we experience you this week. As we follow you this week. And we ask, God, that in our journey with you, that you would give us strength to remain. Not to act, not to plan, not to have a whole set of things going on, but just to remain with you. Give us the courage to just remain, to follow you, to trust that you are enough, to trust that you're leading us in our journey. To trust that even when it's scary and hard and when we have doubt and don't know what's going on, that you are the chosen one of God. You are the Christ. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Father, bless us this week. Bless our families, our jobs. Bless everything we do. From the moment we leave our house to the moment we come back. Bless our children as they go off to school. Bless our older children as they go off to work. Bless our health and be with our town. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
We're going to continue worshiping through song and through communion. You're welcome to go grab your kiddos.